Welcome to In The Making, Season 2. I'm your host, Katie Stewart, founder of Cheyenne Studio. Today's guest is Lisa Anderson Schaefer, founder of Zelma Rose, a luxury fiber jewelry line that consists of handcrafted, ethically made works of wearable art. Hey, Lisa, thanks for joining me. Hi, Katie. Good to talk to you. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to have you on today because your work is really beautiful and also inspiring because it's ethically made and sustainable. I want to talk a little bit about the jewelry you make, basically your aesthetic, what it looks like. I would describe it as hand-woven, bold, more like wearable art than what you think of as, you know, jewelry or something small and fine. How would you define your pieces stylistically? They're definitely big. <laughs> um, there's no, <laughs> there's no way around that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm almost 5'11". So they're big, like they're big on me. They're big. So people who are of different heights will email me and be like, I just need this like three inches shorter <laughs> because it's like past my belly button and like, okay, I gotcha. So they're big. They're kind of, they're statuesque. My studio is on a mountaintop and I overlook the trees. And what I look for in all of my designs is this kind of micro macro experience. So much like a redwood tree, like if you're looking at it from far away, it will have this silhouette and you'll see the needles and you'll see the trunk and it kind of looks a certain way and it's very big and it's impressive. And then if I walk down to where the grove is that I can see from my house, it's like a totally different experience. There's all these different textures in the bark. There's little needles starting to grow like all the way at the bottom of the trunk. There's like bugs in there. Like it's a totally different experience. So I think about that a lot when I'm going through the design processes. Yeah, that's interesting that you're so inspired by the landscape around you because you're in Marin, which is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places in the world, or, or at least yeah. like, having <laughs> lived in San Francisco for a while, it's amazing there. And it's kind of the same thing with nature, right? Where you see a landscape or a sunset from a distance and it's so big and impactful and beautiful, but then also you could just be laying in the grass and see all the details and the beauty there. So it's a really interesting and really kind of inspiring thing to think about when looking at a piece like what you create. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of how I approach the design process in general, like across aesthetics. Like if I'm um, creating my line or if I'm talking, when I did my branding for my website or anything like that, it's like, to me, really good design is about getting down to the essence, which I, which I think, you know, for the average customer, it's like all the design that I think is really great to the untrained eye looks simplistic. Yeah. You know, like if you don't know an Eames molded plywood chair 
and you're with your five-year-old kid and they're looking at it and they're like, I could make that. No, (laughs) but yes, that's what tons of work and failure and throwing out ideas. Like that's what I want to get to is that's the essence of the shape of that chair. So what is the essence of this either for me, the shape, or if I'm doing a certain weave, like what does that really look like and how much can I strip away from that to just have it be about the drape of the materials. It's really interesting because I think whether you're talking about jewelry design or UX, UI design for a website or product design like an Eames chair, like you mentioned, the same principles really apply. Apple has done so well basically because of their realization of simplicity being the end goal. And I I actually saw a UX designer posted on Instagram the other day, a, a nice post about how you never notice the simplicity when it's there and all the work that's gone into it, but you always notice when it's missing. So it's a really interesting thing. Whenever you're making something that in the end you want to be simple in the design world, so much work has gone into making those choices to get that right. But if that work wasn't put in, you would notice how unsimple and cluttered or difficult it may be, whatever it is. Absolutely. There was some time that the general public eye had to get used to this very simplistic shape and look and and really like in the best possible way, nothingness or this very stripped down version. So there's a push and pull there, I think, that 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 makes the best design, but it's not it's not always lighting the match right away. It takes a while. Yeah. I want to uh, talk a little bit about the materials you use, because in addition to the landscape that you're inspired by for your designs, how have you chosen the materials that you use in your designs? And then how have they affected your designs as well as led you to create a sustainable and zero waste business? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would love to say that it was part of this like grand plan (laughs) that I had from the very beginning was to like use fiber, use this particular type of fiber and then have everything be as sustainable as possible and minimal to zero waste. And, and that is not how it happened. I tried a couple different ropes and cords and then it was like, okay, what am I going to use to make this? And I had to try a lot of different things to get the width and the the drape of it. And I found the cord that I use now. And I did that for a while just in the one color and then it became, okay, can I do other colors? And the dyeing process entered in. And from the beginning, like just having gone to art school and having been an art student, like my MO was like, how little can I waste? (laughs) That was like, you know, didn't learn a thing about business with a BFA, but I did learn like <laughs> to cut a hole in the center of the paper, you know, like use as little materials as possible because God knows we're going to be able to afford the, you know, $35 tube of paint again. Right. Art school doesn't <laughs> teach you anything about making money, but they teach you how to be broke and make sure yes. you don't have materials. <laughs> in <the meantime>. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You do know how to pinch your pennies. Um, so that was just in the back of my head was like, okay, well, I'm going to measure five times and cut once. 
So when it came to the dye process and setting up procedures for that, it was like, how little water can I use? What dyes can I use that I don't have to go through like a massive environmental filtering system? I don't have to worry about putting metals and stuff back into the environment. So that became a part of searching out dyes. Again, was like, what's going to streamline my process? So it's not going to cost me money that I don't have in another step in the process. So it took about a year with the dye process to really figure out, you know, how much cord can I dye at once? How little water can I use? It was a lot of experimentation. And now I think it's about, I can get about six months of cord per color with um, six gallons of water which is like SpaghettiOs. Like my dye vats just (laughs) look like SpaghettiOs jammed in a can, but great. The dyes I use are fiber reactive. They use a really safe fixative that can all go back into, they can be poured down the drain, go right back into the normal wastewater supply. So, but all that was really based again on like this artist attitude of, you know, how do I how do I use as little? And then it became, then once I had that, I was like, oh, what I'm actually doing is I'm creating a luxury, you know, like an ethical luxury brand where if I just really think a little bit more and put my intention there, I can create some of these designs with zero waste because I can think about the design process and what's left of each design. Like, what can I do with that? So some of the designs have become zero waste and then the rest are minimal where, I mean, it's small, like little, you know, trimming, trimmings happen. So if everything's going well, there's none of that, but if it doesn't go perfectly and, and sometimes with the cord, there's shrinkage and there's all sorts of things that I'm left with, you know, an inch that I'm not supposed to be, but. Or if your client's five, four, like me, and all of a sudden (laughs) you have to shorten it because, you know. Height disadvantaged over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's, and that's like, that's the stuff that happens with any business. So at least I know going in, um, things are looking pretty good. So it ended up like, it all ended up being very intentional, but it definitely was inspired by the, you know, art school mentality of like, gotta, don't, you know, don't waste the tracing paper. Don't waste the paper. Don't waste the cord. So all of that, I think like in a kind of genius way sets, sets artists up for a sustainable model, really. Yeah. It's really fascinating because as I talk to you and other founders who have small businesses that are sustainable in the fashion or accessory jewelry industry, I feel like what I'm learning is being sustainable is essentially a way to save money. You know, if you're a big brand with lots of money, corporate funding behind you, those are the brands that are wasting money and buying too much to just try to sell, sell, sell to consumers. And then they, they do what they want with the extra. But if you're a small business kind of bootstrapping and just trying to pay for your own inventory, sell it and make a profit and not investing hundreds and thousands of dollars into your business just to have a business, then being sustainable is also economical, which is 
I think something that might not be well known or might seem like, oh, sustainable is going to have to push my product price up or it's going to have to make my business, you know, logistics more difficult. But what I'm hearing is that it it actually is the thing that makes your business operate even better and smoother. Absolutely. And I I think um I talk about this a lot. Um I have like a a sustainability <laughs> accountability partner in my designer friend Jamie Tarr. She's an outdoor designer in uh, Marin. And um we do a podcast together, biased cuts, where we talk about a lot about the fashion industry. But one thing that we do talk about is like really thinking when you start a business about growth because she and I both even though different products you know that kind of stuff we both really have been able to make the decisions we make because there's very little chatter from the peanut gallery like there is no <laughs> there is no peanut gallery so one of the choices i was able to make is with my findings like i use the same findings for all of my pieces. So same clasp, same end caps. I have two different sets. One is bigger, one is smaller, and that's it. And everything I design fits within that. Because when it comes to just, even just putting limits on the design process myself, which I enjoy, but it also comes to simple things like ordering supplies, having them shipped. I'm just ordering from two suppliers and everything's coming in bulk and it's coming at once and it's not coming from different places in different boxes with different carbon footprints and all this stuff and those are decisions decisions like that seem basic but when you're talking about vc funding and more people and a larger workforce there is push always from different departments to expand your designs to include more at a smaller price point to invite more people and it's like I think what we're learning now and what we will continue to learn after this current pandemic crisis that we're in is like bigger isn't always better. And the opportunities that I had to expand, I really came to a crossroads and my circumstances that caused me to step back from expansion were simply that my daughter was switching schools. And I needed to figure that out. And she had to be home for a couple months in between. Like it was just a family thing. It wasn't an emergency. It wasn't like a big life altering thing, but it was like my attention needed to shift. But it really forced me to think like, is bigger really better for Zomeros? And ultimately I decided no and continued to, you know, pull out of trade shows, pull out of shows and really focus on web sales, really interacting with my customer base and not worry so much about this like endless churning of thinking like, Oh, expansion, expansion. Cause in the end I thought, what, what are we talking about? Like I'm still a business person. So how much money are we talking about and how much would I be chasing with that? Like, okay, so then I'd hire a team. Then we'd be doing manufacturing. Would it be able to stay in the United States or would it have to go somewhere else? I don't know. Is that sustainable? how much profit are we talking about? And when I thought about it in the end, I was like, I, I don't think I want my business to change that much. Yeah. Sure. 
Which I think is a hard conversation to have with yourself, especially as Americans. I feel oh, like yeah. <laughs> in Europe, this is a much more accepted, like I have European friends who they're normal, just like us. They give to charities every year. I had one of them tell me once, you know, we make enough money to pay our apartment. You know, we live nicely. We go on a vacation. And then what I have left over, I give to a charity. She's not a millionaire or billionaire. It was just, we have what we need and we don't really need any more than that. And what's the point of trying to collect more? And it's really not an American attitude to have, but it's a good one to think about when you have a business because do we really all need to become Amazon? Like, I don't think a lot of us would enjoy that. I don't think we all want to turn into Jeff Bezos or like, I don't know. I don't think it's not the right path for everyone, but we're so trained that you always need to be going to the next thing, whether that means growing, expanding, making more, selling more, even if the bottom line isn't that much different for you. We're so, so kind of brainwashed that we have to keep making it bigger and better. When I think in reality, we can just maintain and that might be what makes us happy. You know, we can just keep doing what makes us happy, keep selling the same amount of sales and live a really nice life without having to kind of chase that, which, yeah, it's tough. As like a motivated business owner, you only start a business if you're a motivated person Right. So to <laughs> right. Level with yourself and say, okay, I don't really need to keep going further with this. I've done it is a, a tough thing, I think, to realize and be able to consciously make that decision. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think you're really right about sort of the American mindset of supersize, like bigger is but that's you know, we got rid of thinking that like you should be able to go eat like four pounds of french fries and not have health issues. Like I think we've come away from that. But what still sticks is this like supersize mentality of like bigger, better, more. And you can actually continue to make more money and you can grow your business and you can make a lot of money without this big expansion kind of mindset um because money's great and I want every artist and creative person to make as much money as they possibly can. Yeah. Um and you can definitely still do that but without um you know without warehouses and having a hundred people on your payroll and worried about paying them so they can pay their mortgages. And I imagine moving forward um this is going to be on a lot of people's minds. How have you learned to become a businesswoman? Well, in an artistic endeavor, how have you kind of found that path? Yeah. Um, I like to use this quote, um, belief in your script is essential. And so my script has been like high quality. I don't want anyone to look at any of my stuff and think it's, it's crap. Like, the materials are crappy. It's made horribly or it, you know, like I could see glue on it. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so that's very, that's part of my script. Another part of my script is design. I want it to be beautifully designed. I don't want it to look like a crappy interpretation of someone else's good idea. And I, I want it to be, you know, stylish. I want it to have a, a look to it. So if those three things are my script, then what does that mean? And that, those, those things, the same things kind of cross over to business. Like 
what is it what does it mean to be a high quality business person okay so that's really good customer service that's admitting when something goes wrong it's trust right that when your customers are given the chance to send something back they will they always do you know like those kind of script beliefs started to really bleed into how I'm managing other things. And that comes with money too. Like I want to know what my profits are. Am I paying myself enough? Pricing, I've seen so many people melt down over pricing. And I feel like if they're going to teach one thing in art school, in any school, any school that is basically having you exit working for yourself under most circumstances, you have to talk about pricing. And how to figure that out with insurance and all the other stuff that comes about it. Like, like that quality and clean design idea for me also, you know, translates to pricing. Like, does my pricing make sense for my customers? Does it make sense for the market value? But also, does it make sense for me? So if I'm not part of an expansion model and knowing that I'm not selling a thousand necklaces a week, how much do they need to cost for me to be able to sustain this the way I want to sustain it, which is with high quality materials, ethically and conscious, minimum to no zero waste. Like, what does all that mean? There's a couple of things in here that you've touched upon that I find really interesting. One is if I can summarize your (laughs) overall like approach, what I heard from you was essentially make a good product, be honest and be nice to people. It's kind (laughs) of like if you abide by those rules, which were some of those examples you gave, you're going to have a good business. It's going to work if you follow those three things. You might not be an instant millionaire, but you will be able to grow a business on that platform. And then the two other things that you just mentioned that I think are really interesting is one, your method for pricing, because I think I've fallen into this this way of thinking as well as an artist or anyone, anyone who's making something and you need to find a way to put it out there and price it. I think the mentality that you first approach it with when you don't know any better is, oh, what would people want to pay for this? Like, what do I think the necklace is worth? In my business, it's like, what do people think a logo is worth? Where if you talk to, you know, Walmart, that's a very different answer than if you talk Mm -hmm. to a small business down the road for me. Like some people think logos are $50. Other people pay 50 million. I don't know. Right. (laughs) Like it's somewhere in between. So This idea of what will people pay for my product, I think is one that we often enter into business pricing with, but it's not necessarily the best way to figure it out, right? Because really it has to be a combination of the time, the supplies, everything that goes into it, and then what it's going to take to maintain the business model. Mm -hmm. And if that model, that might be three times what you thought somebody would pay for it, But that doesn't mean you should drop it down and not make a profit. So that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to do, I think, because we all want people to like go buy our product or hire us for our services. And you want to give people what they want for the budget they have and what they're expecting. But you can't give that to everybody because it's just not going to work. So it's a difficult thing to parse out, I think, and come to terms with. I think generally people who start a business do want to get whatever they're making in other people's hands and they do want to give it to people that like it and they want people to have it even if it's free and it's like, that's not your job. One last question before we wrap this up. 
I basically just want to ask you about where you see Zelma Rose going in the future. I know you've been at it for quite some time now and you're kind of transitioning in where you are with the business. So what, what are your goals or where are you going with the company moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that was probably more up to me two months ago than it is now. <laughs> We're just going to do whatever the economy yeah. makes us do right now. Um, but I think, you know, still going with what my plan was, I'm definitely not going to be looking to be in an expansion model anytime soon. I feel like just steady as she goes, you know, yeah. um, and see, and, and having a non-expansion model also allows me to dip into a lot of the other things that I'm interested in too. Um, which feels good to me. Some people like they want to have all their eggs in one basket. As much as I wish that was my personality, I like having like 50 baskets, (laughs) 30 eggs and all of that, you know, that's just kind of, uh, I have multiple interests and passions and ones that I like to pursue professionally, not just personally. That's great. I, I think I'm very similar with the lots of baskets and eggs and I'm always trying to start something new and, you know, work on something else, but then come back to the design studio and what I'm doing. So I get that, that need to keep it interesting and change it up every now and then. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's the artist. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for chatting with me today. Um, Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this has been really helpful. And I think you have a lot of really wonderful business advice, unique and a little different than other people do it. And it's wonderful to know that that path is another option that's out there to follow. So I find it personally really inspiring because it's not the traditional create a business, try to grow, grow, grow and expand. It's more of a personal approach to your art and your design and your practice of business and kind of life and looping it all together. So I think it's a really unique and interesting approach that a lot of people might actually want to follow, but they might not have considered it yet. So I think it's a really nice, nice thing to think through. Oh, good. Thank you for saying that. I feel like, I feel like the redwood tree, like I'm just (laughs) going to be like, I'm, I'm a tree. So I'm just going to be a tree (laughs) and you know, you can be a tree and be a business person too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This was Lisa Anderson Schaefer, founder of Zelma Rose. If you want to check out her beautiful jewelry and designs, it's at zelmarose.com and you can purchase them right on the site.